Do we know what we're talking about? <laughs> Season three. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this <laughs> is Pod Have Mercy. Well, today on Pod Have Mercy. Um, uh, we're joined both by uh, a, a guest host, uh, <laughs> Evan Nering, who is the the director of global missions at Chapelwood, and who has his own podcast. What's your podcast again? Uh, it's called Your Why, yeah. and so we just bring on different nonprofits where we talk about their why for the work they're doing. So. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've been on it a couple of times. It's a wonderful, wonderful podcast. So, and and our guest today is. Um, is Reverend Gregory Hahn, and I've known Greg for uh, really since I came back to Houston uh, in his work with Interfaith Ministries. And um, not only is he doing great work there, he I uh, consider him to be a, um, not just a colleague, but also a friend um, that we've shared uh, both kind of personal things in our own lives, but also mission uh, and our love for Houston and our love to see folks working together for the common good. And so, uh, Greg, it's, it's a wonderful treat to have have you here, particularly with what's going on in the moment <laughs> yeah. we're in in Houston, um, uh, not just the storm that's passed through, but also multiple storms of refugees and um, homelessness or those kinds of things. And right. so um, would you tell us just a bit about one, maybe your title and what you do <laughs> at Interfaith Ministries, and then just a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, let me start actually with a little bit about myself. Uh, I My shorthand is I am a half Asian, Midwestern raised, Jesuit educated, Harvard trained, Texas residing Presbyterian minister. So, <laughs> Dude. Yeah. I, 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 wait, th- th- we'll have to slow that down yeah, because yeah. that's a, yeah. you pack a lot in you. Well, I, I, I got the idea when I was a, I taught high school for a couple of years and one of our exercises was we did something called a six word summary mm. and how, to, how would you summarize a novel in six words? And so I, I challenged uh, some of the, my students one day, how would you kind of six, six words summary yourself? Yeah. Uh, and so that was how I sort of uh, came, kind of came <laughs> up with that. Um, you know, uh, and this ties in as well. My father is an immigrant from China. So uh, I kind of, I'm a child of two cultures from the Midwest. Uh, did my undergrad at Georgetown University and then a master's at Harvard Divinity School. I've been here in the Houston area since 1998. Uh, pastor churches I've taught, uh, but right now, I for the past seven years, I've been the director of interfaith relations and education at Interfaith Ministries for Greater Houston. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about um, interfaith and what y'all do and some of the mission that you're involved in. Sure. I usually... Um, describe us as Houston's oldest interfaith service organization. We have two things that are kind of at the the core of our work, dialogue, collaboration, and service, and the strength of shared beliefs. Mm. Uh, We usually trace our lineage back to the 1950s when mostly Protestant churches got together, the church welfare bureau was what it was called, recognizing, as we often do, we can do more together than apart Mm -hmm. by um, kind of collaborating and marshalling resources. Again, the Catholic portion of the Christian community got started getting involved, and then the Jewish community started getting involved. Um, And we really call 1969 the the year that when we are founded as Houston Metropolitan Ministries as uh, the year that we think of ourselves as a kind of identifiable okay. nonprofit. Um, and then in 1992, changed our name to Interfaith Ministries to reflect the growing diversity of Houston and the growing diversity of, of faith communities that were supporting us. We've always had... Um, 
we've always done outward facing mission work yeah. or nonprofit or or community work over the years but particularly since the early 2000s um, focused really in two major areas, and there's a reason. Um, we run Texas's largest Meals on Wheels program. Uh, it's one of the top 10 largest in the country. Wow. And then for the past 30 plus years have been doing refugee services resettlement. Those two things in particular, because uh, you'll find at the heart of every ethical, spiritual, religious system or way of orienting ourselves into the world, the concepts of feeding the hungry, and welcoming the stranger. We also are all the home since uh, late 2017 of Volunteer Houston. Uh, that's another part. And then the part out of which I work, uh, interfaith relations and community partnerships, doing a lot of education work, a lot of convening work, a lot of resourcing work, a lot of connecting work. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. What do you find, like, I think it's so neat, all the different community groups and faith groups and everything that y'all bring in together um, and work together. How have y'all found a way to like cultivate just bringing those groups into one and y'all being able to work on a singular mission together? Um, so I think some of it has to do with the particular nature of Houston. Um, uh, you know, one of the most diverse urban regions right. in the country. Uh, you can find everyone in significant numbers, particularly out of my own area of expertise of religious communities. And even the subsets of religious communities are here in significant numbers. Uh, as well as, I think in many, in many ways, it's a welcoming city. It's a generous city. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really productive place to do this sort of interreligious and intercultural engagement work. On the other hand, though, um, it's, it's, you know, convening uh, work can be complicated because, uh, in, in a good way, because everyone is kind of doing something different. Uh, so it's both a challenge, but also a real opportunity to be in that space where you can see what people are doing and honor and respect these kind of specific areas, but see those lines of connection mm -hmm. and that others ne don't necessarily see. And one of the really unique and wonderful factors of Interfaith Ministries is because of these kind of this, this odd um, kind of Franken Frankenstein's monster of, of, <laughs> of entities that are within I am, uh, and each one of those could be a freestanding nonprofit in in many cases. Um, we kind of have our connections and our tentacles in kind of unique ways across the greater Houston area. Uh, so we've got this opportunity to see what's going on and try to figure out ways to connect people in ways that are productive um, and. Really, that the the that the whole can be greater than the sum of the parts. That's mm -hmm. great. One of the things I love about as I've gotten to know you and the organization more is that there is that there's that kind of binocular kind of vision that y'all have that's rooted in both doing, you know, so that you are um, every day uh, showing up with food for folks that are homebound or in, in, in need of that. Right. Yep. I mean, that's 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 the staple. And in crisis times, uh, um, folks turn to y'all, and we'll talk about this in just a second, in uh, refugee services, those kinds of things. But also, um, the vital conversations that you're holding, I'd love you to talk a bit about that, where you'll bring folks together um, for conversations that really... Uh, 
often don't happen within the local churches be because of uh, a number of things, but y'all kind of sit in the Switzerland, <laughs> so to speak, yeah. of, of this intellectual space <laughs> where people can come together and not have to, in a sense, give up their belief right. um, um, at all or check it at the door or ask not to say certain things, but um, to enter into a dialogue where those things are really respected. Yeah. Um, That's, we, we do, when it comes to that convening space, we do work very hard in a genuine way to be um, an open space, um, uh, an honest broker mm. of ideas and of, of people's commitments to the community. Uh, and so uh, we, at least I particularly enjoy bringing people in for conversation and then trying to spread that conversation out into the larger community, yeah. providing exposure to uh, some incredible work that's being done here through our vital conversations, through um, like uh, our, our Faith in Our City program, which I coordinate, which, um, which introduces people to different religions, but also, especially when we're not in COVID, gives people an opportunity to go to houses of worship and not just mm -hmm. learn from me, but also to go and see sacred space and visit with practitioners. We find that combination to be very, very effective. Yeah. yeah. So in the moment that we're in, one of the things that Evan and I have, you know, been talking about a bit in the serving community, and and John uh, Stevens, our senior pastor, kind of leading the way on, yeah. is uh, um, in the moment we're in, kind of with the end of the Afghan uh, Afghanistan war, and just the. Uh, the number of refugees that are coming, uh, some, many of them will be showing up and have already shown up in, in Houston. Yes. There's been this kind of collective turn towards uh, interfaith ministry saying, um, y'all are the hub that will be collecting or at least receiving a lot of these folks. What do we do, right? And so, and you've been a, a, an immense resource for us in our own kind of uh, um, desire to serve and mm -hmm. to love, you know, uh, people in this. Could you kind of talk to us about um, the that whole program that you have from, from how folks kind of um, can either volunteer or get involved and even how you as a, um, as a nonprofit receive these uh, refugees? Sure. Um, I will say firsthand that I'm, I'm, I'm aware and have a lot of information. It is an immensely complex process. Yeah. I think anybody who thinks that um, refugees just kind of show up and we don't know at the border and we don't know who they are um, is, 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 doesn't understand the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. Refugees are some of the most vetted people that enter uh, into the United States, right. 18 to 24 month process uh, for refugees that have often been resettled if, uh, to one, if not two countries from their country of origin before coming to the United States. Um, and there's like a three tier, as, as, as I've gotten to, you know, sit in on, you know, John Haddis as a pastoral kind of staff sit in on one of the webinars that y'all did. Yep. Um, and there's like a, almost like a three tier kind of setting for each one of these families or folks that are kind of slotting in. And yes. so it's not, it's not a willy nilly deal. It's all no. kind of vetted by the state department and yeah. Okay. It is absolutely. And, um, so again, Interfaith Ministries has been involved in for with refugee resettlement for 30 mm. plus years. Okay. We're, we're not new to this. And um, there's a very strong refugee resettlement community that includes other entities like the YMCA, um, uh, the Alliance, Catholic Charities, mm -hmm. and we call this the consortium. And okay. I think it's another good model of how uh, how uh, Houston works together, yeah. uh, that we are 
are committed, and, but we're not necessarily territorial. We seek mm-hmm. to work together. And just as a quick aside, we hosted uh, a lot of, of groups that came post-Harvey, wondering and curious to learn about how we did things in Houston post-Harvey. Mm-hmm. And that's something that they said often, that y'all here in Houston, you just aren't that territorial. You huh. just kind of roll up your, your, your sleeves and you get in there and you meet needs. Yeah. So, um, uh, but and I will I'll just say, please visit imgh.org and click on our refugee services department um, button to, to learn more. Um, we are in agencies like Refugee Services at Interfaith Ministries is kind of the, the end point. We are the ones that resettle refugees. Mm-hmm. We particularly work with Episcopal Migration Ministries, EMM, and they're the next kind of group that's further up this very complex system of refugee resettlement. Okay. And so usually what happens is that um, we there's a word that we use called assurance, that we will assure that we can resettle a, a refugee or refugee family into the Houston area. And we have a wonderful track record that within six months, um, our refugee families, over 90% have, re- have, have achieved a level of financial self-sufficiency. Wow. And that's so um, and all the data is is there's so much data about how much refugees contribute to the to our country and to the greater Houston area. Mm. Um, they um, start nonprofit. They, they they are entrepreneurs at you know some uh, I think some numbers show it at twice the rate of of others. Um, they contribute to uh, global connections. So uh, they are refugees in the Houston area are far more of an asset beyond just the 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 principles. But they are contributors to the greater Houston community, the greater Houston com- uh, economy in significant, significant ways. So our work with them are um, home, uh, housing, acculturation, job tr- training, job placement. Um, again, most refugees come with levels of skills and high levels of education. Uh, their kids into schools, um, wraparound services. Uh, we have a wonderful women's empowerment group that helps um, particularly um, women, uh, the women refugees um, mm. that find place and find community and find um, you know ways to be to, to 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 contribute as well. So, but it really then comes down to. Um, housing, jobs, job training, yeah. kids in school, acculturation. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, something that I think has been really interesting to hear um, coming out of the whole Afghan thing is that usually whenever you come in, you're getting certain benefits and um, things from the government as a refugee, getting reset all and stuff. And I've heard, and maybe you can maybe enlighten yeah. on this, that the Afghan refugees aren't getting all those benefits that we have seen before. Um, for the people usually coming in. Right, and that's why Interfaith Ministries has started a, we are a campaign called a thousand, uh, a thousand Neighbors, A Thousand Reasons, recognizing that over the course of the next month or year that we'll be asked to resettle maybe a thousand refugees from, from Afghanistan. Mm. And this is where it gets even more complex. Um, 
there is an, ex an extended refugee resettlement process that lasts anywhere from 18 to 24 months. There are different statuses then, particularly people may have heard of SIV, the Special Immigrant Visa, mm -hmm. and there's another one called the Priority 2 or the, the, the P2 as well. Um, those still take time. And so it's an unfortunate term, but the term that is becoming more and more common is, um, uh, is, this, is a refugee status called parole or parolee. Mm. It's an unfortunate term, but um, it's not a new term. We, um, uh, the United States resettled um, refugees and kind of on this expedited right. um, uh, process in 1975 and in the mid-70s and the mid-90s mm. after Vietnam and after the, the, uh, after the first Gulf War. Mm. And it's basically a way for refugees to come quickly to a place, to, in this case to the United States, but they still are in the application process. And so that means that they're here, we know who they are, they come uh, kind of in an expedited way, but they don't have access to government-based refugee uh, resettlement funds mm. um, while they're in this status. Mm. And that's why our fundraising efforts are so important because with parolees, they don't come with um, kind of this, this um, the access to, to government uh, refugee resettlement funds. Wow. And is that where the, in so many ways, that's where the, the church comes in uh, to play in that, um, and other churches, I would think other religions too, that would might suggest that um, that the stranger among you is um, kind of bears witness to the very presence of God. Yes. You know? And so um, y'all's work with churches and other religious organizations to um, help kind of fill in what is lacking in those spaces is um, really important. Yeah. It is. We they definitely, uh, our faith communities and our nonprofits and our philanthropic community are the ones that are going to fill this gap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think a big thing that I see the church jump in, and I think this is a beautiful thing, is I've, and I've sat on many conversations about refugees in Houston since coming on into the Chapelwood, um, and just like, I remember learning just like the thought that you just show up in a country that you don't speak the predominant language, yep. you have nothing, you have maybe a duffel bag of stuff, and you've right. got a family, and you show up, and it's just like, what do I do? And, and that's the reality, isn't yeah, it? Can, it is. Can you can you kind of you know uh, um, peer, let us peer behind kind of the curtain of like like what happens? So some uh, there's an airport involved, yep. and, and then <laughs> and what a late, usually a, a late night, a late night flight, um, okay. a late yeah. night arrival that that's involved and. Um, it isn't hyperbolic, to, and because you can see it, um, there's uh, recent uh, news pieces as well as a wonderful piece in the Chronicle uh, from the 13th about Interfaith Ministries resettling its first Afghan parolee here in the mm -hmm. family, a family mm -hmm. of seven. It's a wonderful story as well. The mom came pregnant and gave birth to their to, to their youngest at Fort Bliss where they landed wow. after leaving from Kabul and going to Qatar and then going to Fort Bliss out in the El Paso area um, and wow. and gave birth at Fort in Fort Bliss to their to their to their youngest um, but they come with maybe two one or two bags each uh, and wow. arrive uh, this family arrived 11:45 p.m. Uh, you know into 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 um, intercontinental pick them up take them to their to their new home and drop them off drop them with their bags again one or two each and it's 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 kind of it's it's that it's the it's the late night run 
to the late and the late night um, arrival to the apartment. And talking with um, one of your colleagues, Kim Mayberry, she um, uh, she said that there's a need for um, for vans and for drivers and for folks that would, in some ways, um, be a part of the interfaith ministry team that would that would greet these folks yes. and um, and then um, collect them, take them with an interpreter, with a case management worker to their apartment and um, help to receive them. So that's uh, something practical that that church groups can or church members can do. Oh, absolutely. Right? The, 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 um, the, the, the hands-on practical opportunities that we have right now are, are, are many in, okay. in many cases. Yeah. Can you, as, yeah, as I was going to say, I would love to hear more about, and I know this is something that y'all do, and I think it's so beautiful, the idea that you put a group to get, you get a group together. And this to me is really where as the church, we can be the church. Um, and like, cause to me, the church is about one of the big things is community fellowship. And this is where we come in and provide this for these refugee families is that you come in and you're, you're get a group together and you're there for six months plus just doing life with them, helping them learn how do you apply for school, like how to get your kids in school, what's the bus system, what's, you know, what does it look like to go get groceries, all that stuff. And so what does that look like for a group to get involved in that way? Sure. Um, there are, again, many ways, and this is where um, I, will, I will appeal to people to visit imgh.org because the list, the, the needs are many and they're shifting as well, ranging from just the simple need for unrestricted funds, monetary donations are super important to uh, help with transportation, particularly a family. So, so, so church vans are, are perfect in that situation too. And I, know, and I, and I wanna um, just make sure, often we use the term adopt a family, I like the term sponsor. Like, sp mm. I think that's I think a more respectful term, and it's a more egalitarian term yeah. Yeah. as well. Just the need to sponsor families when it comes to things for their homes, mm. even refugees that come with government support. It's for maybe like, if it's a family of five, it's enough for um, like five plates, five spoons, five forks, enough for that specific number of people, and so um, contributions of of kitchenwares of things like a television as well things that aren't necessarily beds. covered beds <laughs> so uh, those those sorts of needs as well and I cannot discount again the the importance of the simple act of fellowship mm. of the these are they are foreigners they are strangers but nothing human should be strange to us mm. and they are human beings uh, that have in many cases in almost every case the same hopes and wants and aspirations for themselves and for their kids yeah. uh -huh. and many of them have been traumatized over this oh. um, past season of their life if not all of their life because of just being in war and so I think about that and the the ability for the church to stand in that place to receive in love and in um, healing. You know, I think that that like you're right that that fellowship is really creates the context where so much healing is uh, begins to happen. Um, and yeah. so I think that's that's so important that y'all are curating and and connecting that space up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we can't do it without the help of our, again, our particular our church and faith community partners. Mm. They're so important at this in this season. Mm. Yeah. So, something that I I have heard of in the past, and I'm curious to see where y'all fit in in this, is that 
whatever, like, so for Afghan, usually I've heard that they try to resettle all the families in a specific area of town so that they can find some sense of community as well, right? Um, so how do, what does that process look like for y'all? To, like, what areas of town do you look like? Is there a specific area or is it just like, hey, we're just trying to find any spot we can get them to? That's a good question. And I'm going to speak a little out of turn because, again, this is a very much a moving target, um, be, particularly because, because of COVID in particular, mm. housing's just, there is a housing crisis crisis and a housing shortage, particularly for affordable housing. And that's a whole other, yeah, you know, right. that's a whole other crisis, right. not just for refugees. Yeah. Um, in general, our, I think most uh, of, of our resettlement, it can happen in many, many locations, but particularly in kind of the high density apartment areas of Southwest Houston. That tends to be um, where apartments can be found. And it tends to be where, as you, as you mentioned, Evan, where um, the communities tend to be resettled and then tend to kind of germinate and and grow and that's where as well the kind of more basic services or services that are more language friendly or maybe cuisine even you know the the cuisine friendly start to generate as well so it's sort of a circular sort of um uh, occurrence that the people get resettled there out of perhaps necessity and then services and community starts to grow there as well Mm. um some of the things that are sort of maybe disadvantageous is those are some areas that aren't public uh, public transit heavy or public transit dense, which is where um, assistance with um, transportation as well as community is is really important. Mm -hmm. But I'd say in most cases, it's kind of in that apartment dense areas of Southwest Houston. Yeah. There's uh, some some students we've worked with at a high school there that are have been uh, Congolese and Syrian refugees mm-hmm. the last couple of years and um, and to to be in connection with those students and their family is been one of the most kind of um, life changing and mm-hmm. rich experiences of my life um, because in some ways what it did for me is just I. I I didn't know how to speak a language. You know, I, I had all these barriers, right? As I couldn't, uh, you know, what can I do? You know, and just showing up and realizing that there's Google Translate and these folks are hungry yep. to connect, yep. right? Um, and so that uh, there is, there's space there for really anybody that has a desire to, yep. s- to lean in. I think they teach about being, I think, where do you, hungry mm-hmm. and bright and resilient and adaptable and um where we see you know barriers they're like you call that a barrier (laughs) right (laughs) let me show you let's figure out a way right um uh, so no there's it's a it's a it can be a just a very enriching in in many cases but a very enriching spiritual partnership Mm -hmm. as well as we remember what it's like to be a stranger through their eyes yeah that's wonderful yeah what would you say and y'all were just kind of talking about this but like does the person listening right now who goes, man, like here's this. And it's like, my heart is pulled. I want to do that. But those barriers seem too big, whether it's language, whether it's a cultural difference. I just don't know if I could walk in and do that. What would be your advice to them? What would be your encouragement for them to take that step out? Um, I, I, it sounds cliched, but I would open with prayer silence um, to silence that, that and or mostly to listen and honor that sense of 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 anxiety, because we live in an anxious time. Yeah, uh, that that is that is for sure. Uh, and then uh, and then just to take 
you know, one step at a time. You know, Anne Lamott has that wonderful book on writing called Bird by Bird. Yes. And, you know, she, this, the, the, the story comes <laughs> from um, the, I think, uh, the son or the, the child who needs to write this paper on birds. And it's the day before. And I have yeah. all these birds. And she says, just take it bird by bird, buddy. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that since reading that book 20 years ago. And then to turn to, seriously, imgh.org. There's contact information. There's um, mm. more and more information about our 1,000 Neighbors, 1,000 Reasons campaign and our Amazon wish list okay. uh, and, or just a, a wish list where you can order stuff straight off mm. of, a, of a, that is regularly updated that uh, you can order stuff and it gets sent to IAM and we get it out to people. So there are, we are trying to create a variety of avenues for supporting yeah. at least our yeah. work with re refugees. And I understand the, the, that Amazon kind of click <laughs> has really been super helpful to you. I was talking to Kim the other day and it's just like, there's just been an outpouring and, and still there's, there's more if yep. it's a, you know, a thousand uh, refugees, a thousand neighbors. What, what is that? A thousand neighbors, a thousand reasons. Yeah. Reasons. Yeah. 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 Which is uh, fantastic. And so there's some practical things that we can do in terms of just a click away, helping a family with much needed things as they land on the ground. There's the ability to uh, lean in through kind of driving a van and a more proximal kind of connection. And my hunch is that over time, y'all will continue to um, help us know how we can, um, how we can be the body of Christ in you this know, particular way. Absolutely. And this is where, um, and we talk about this often in disaster work, you don't want your first call for relationship to be when it's happening. Mm -hmm. And so and that's where the value of our connectional nature, and particularly the connectional nature of something like Chapelwood in the United yeah. Methodist Church, we already had these relationships in place yeah. so that when the need arose, we were already connected. Yeah. And that is... Uh, that's both, I think, very a reminder of how important it is, but also how enriching it is. Well, and I want to point out, too, for the people listening, that um, in the conversations that we've had um, with IJM leading up to right now, that we um, have a sign-up, like when we talk about Amazon um, mm. packages that um, I know talking to Kim last week, she had brought up that, man, y'all need help sorting through yep. like yeah, you know it's, it's great it's been a great response but because of that there's like there's all these boxes that need to be moved they need to be sorted so we one thing we've been we've done is we've come up with the sign up genius that um if you're listening and you want to go help out with them sort and move that stuff and then also we're going to be trying to put together a couple groups to sponsor a family yeah. um and if that's something that you think is um thing well i'm sure we'll provide a link yep. um yeah, that y'all can that. go through and sign up for that kind of stuff um so yeah yeah and that's that um that's for chapelwood folks and even yeah. those not listening uh, can can participate in that way yeah. uh, that aren't um, members of chapelwood but that's what specifically we're doing yeah. we've raised some money um uh to that regard as well um yeah. and um we're continuing to do so in that yeah. so yeah thank you well greg it's been a a pleasure having you here um and just to uh, really to lead us through kind of this moment and what we can be doing as a church in the body of Christ and your leadership and interfaith ministries kind of vision and presence in our city as uh, as we continue to become more diverse. We need spaces that allow us to connect in really deep ways. And what y'all are doing is just um, uh, crucial to the life of our city. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity and appreciate your support and more than anything, appreciate our relationships. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, let me um, also give a shout out to the coffee we're drinking today. Um, <laughs> and the coffee is, again, every week uh, by Lampshade, which mm. just cranks out a good brew. And then our own team at Chapelwood, Bobby and Sam, have uh, cranked up a coffee shop here. And so if you are uh, in uh, if you're in the zip code area and you want a cup of coffee, stop by our Chapelwood coffee shop and uh, they'll be more than happy uh, to give you a cup of coffee. And uh, you probably have to pay for it. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I got Yeah, Bobby might get mad if I start giving out coffee here. But uh, but yeah, we'd invite you to come by and have fellowship here too as well. And so we we uh, we love that. Well, so even if you don't like coffee, do it for the glass. These are cool glasses. Yeah, they are great glasses. <laughs> so, like, even yeah. if you don't like the coffee, yeah. just stop by, get a cool glass, yeah. <laughs> drink some some out of that. So. Yeah. Well, um, again, thanks for being here. Um, I'm Matt Russell. I'm Evan Nering. I'm Greg Hahn. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Pod Have Mercy.